Kevin, how are you doing? I haven't talked to you in so long. How are the children? Marion. Andy, shh. I'm online with Mama. Shh. Hi, Mama. Yes, you look great. Oh, that's so good to hear the good news about the children. Yeah. Really? Mama? Mama? Something's happened. I, I don't know what's... Mama and the children are mine. This land is being wasted on this orphanage, and you can only have the children back after this land is signed over to me. <laughs> Andy, Andy, what are we gonna do? Don't fear. You ever seen what I can do with a whip? Salah, I need your help. Hey, Lindy, what's up? Balak has the children, has Mama, and won't give them back until we give him the deed to the land. So what's the plan? What are you going to do, Indy? Salah, I need you to pick up these items for me. Go ahead and get those. Okay, what do we got? We got ammunition, TNT, a wire, plane tickets to Kenya, okay. a large pepperoni pizza. Hey, we've got to eat. Okay, Indy, Salah, make it happen. Andy, are you really going to be able to save the children? Don't worry about it. We've got it all taken care of. Salah and I will make sure of it. You know, you can't fail, Indy. They're counting on us. Mama and the children need us. They're, that land is their only home. You have to come through, Indy. Oh, Indy, I just don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry, but the credit card you have submitted has been declined. I'm sorry. Indy, you said you paid that off. What happened? Well, 55-inch uh, TV, surround sound. Oh, Andy! Please <laughs> go to Taco Bell. I've got a coupon. Okay, so I don't know about you, but I am hanging on the edge of my seat to find out what Indy will do next. <laughs> hey, I, uh, you guys know I've, I've been on vacation for the last few weeks, and man, I, I just want to thank you. It has been such a refreshing time, something I needed. I was ready uh, for a little bit of a break, but I am so thrilled to be back and to be together and for us to have a chance just to go and dive in God's Word together again. So thank you for being a church that gives the opportunity to your pastors to take a break when they need them, but, and then come back and go. So thank you guys for that. We're starting a new series today. Um, it, it's called Lost Crusade, and what we're really going to spend the next couple of weeks uh, talking about together is simply this. What is it? What is it that God was hoping you and I would do with the resources that he gave us, with the time and the capacity and the abilities and the finances that he put in our hands, what is it that God was hoping we would do uh, with that? And what we're going to discover together is simply this, that you and I have been given an incredible once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to do something remarkable for God. Ever had one of those? Ever, ever had a once-in-a-lifetime unbelievable opportunity and didn't realize it? 
missed the moment. I mean, you look back in hindsight, because hindsight is 2020, and you go, oh my, what was I thinking in that moment? I mean, I pushed the pass button when I should have pushed the all-in button, and I missed a once-in-a-lifetime. Anybody brave enough? Okay. Lisa and I are newly married back in the 80s, and I'm serving as a youth pastor in a small church, and we're not earning enough money, and uh, so Lisa has to go out and get a part-time job to kind of supplement our income. And she lands this part-time job with a upstart computer software uh, company. Now, you got to remember, this is back in the days when they were saying really, really stupid stuff about computers, like, someday everybody will have a computer in their own home, you know, just absurdly crazy things. And uh, so Lisa lands this part-time job brand new uh, computer software company. She ends up being, part-time, the regional sales manager for all of Arizona, all of Nevada, all of New Mexico. The office for this upstart computer software company was our kitchen table at 48th Street and Southern. And I can remember saying to Lisa while she was uh, doing this job, saying, look, this is kind of cool because they're paying you pretty good for part-time work, but you and I can't get used to this because uh, this company is really poorly run. Uh, we would get uh, in the mail just little memos from them, and, and they would send them FedEx. And I said, how can you do that? I mean, that's just crazy, a memo, and it's 10 bucks FedEx. They would take Lisa on sales meetings and even on cruises, and they'd take her out, and they'd... they'd rev her all up to go out and sell more software. I said, Lisa, you're part, how can they do that for a part-time employee? And I said, look, here's the deal. You and I better enjoy this while we can because it is clear this company will not be around very long. I ended up, uh, with the transfer, I ended up in uh, Southern California, and so Lisa called up the company and said, look, is there any chance that you could uh, moved me into Southern Cal, and they created, you get rid of this? They created a job for Lisa. And I always said, see what I'm saying? How, how can they create a job for, I mean, this is just, whoever's running this thing has no idea uh, what they're doing. Uh, after a while, it became kind of inconvenient because we were up, I don't know if you know Southern Cal, but we were up in a little town called Yucaipa, which is kind of what they call the Inland Empire. Lisa's uh, the office uh, was downtown L.A., so you can imagine rush hour traffic. It's an hour and a half, two hours to get in. It's a good two and a half hours to get home every single day for a part-time job. So finally, Lisa came to me and said, you know, Lynn, I'm thinking maybe I should quit. This is just crazy. And I said, no, you're right. I mean, the, the company's going to go under anyway. So, yeah, go ahead and quit. And she says, well, Lynn, I've got stock because sometimes, you know, they, when they couldn't pay, or they, just, they would give us stock and stock options, and it split two or three times, and we, we got some stock. And what should I do with the stock? And I said, well, you know, what's it worth? She said, I think it's worth like $2,300. And I said, Lisa, cash it in, because in six months, this it's not going to be worth anything. Cash it in. We can pay off some serious bills. I mean, that just, that just makes sense. Cash it in. Let's run. Let's get you a real job. Anybody want to guess what upstart software company Lisa was working for? Microsoft. Microsoft.
There is no one. There is no one who was working for Microsoft at that time who had the stocks that we had in that moment who stayed with Microsoft that doesn't have millions upon millions upon millions of dollars today. But of course, we pushed past. It's an interesting thing because Jesus is going to have a similar story for you and me in Scripture today. He's going to say, you realize God has invited you and me into the opportunity of a lifetime to, to buy Microsoft stock when it's down low at the beginning really, really cheap. And the question that's going to get asked is, are you buying or are you selling? Are, are you and I going to take advantage? And he tells the story of three men who all get the same opportunity. Two of them get the moment. Two of them go, oh my goodness, this is the opportunity of a life. Count me in. And one of them says, nah, there's a lot more practical things. There's a lot more prudent things I could do with the money. Cash me out. No thanks. And it's going to be powerful for you and I. Because Jesus, as he tells the story, says, you're the one. I'm the one with the opportunity of a lifetime. So grab your Bibles, go with me this morning. It's Matthew chapter 25. If you're not real familiar with your Bibles, you can go to the back and then begin thumbing toward the left, toward the front. You're going to run into this book of Matthew. It's the first book of what we call the New Testament, Matthew chapter 25. While you're going there, just to give us some background, Jesus is telling a parable. In other words, he's telling us a story to make a point. Jesus does this in the moments in which he understands that what he's about to say to us, if he just said it straight up, if he just said, here's how it is, you and I in all likelihood would go, no, it's not. Uh, no, I, I don't think I believe that. I don't get that. No, thank you. And in those moments in which Jesus is having some of his hardest discussions, those moments in which he's trying to help you and I navigate the emotional hurdles of our life, he tells parables to help you and I get there. And what happens at the end of a parable is you and I go, oh my goodness, that is so obvious. So here it is, it's a parable, and here's the lesson Jesus is trying to teach. That God has vested in every one of our lives opportunities, finances, resources. And what you and I choose to do with those finances, with those resources, may lead to the opportunity of our lives. Here it is, Matthew chapter 25, starts in verse 14. This is Jesus telling this story. Again, Jesus said, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, and a talent is just a denomination. It's just, it's just an amount of money. So to one he gives five talents of money, to another he gives two talents of money, and to another one, one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went out at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one of two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and... and 
settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained you two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out, I hid your talent in the ground, See, here's what belongs to you back. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that the very least when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him. Give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw this worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's an interesting story. It's an interesting moment, because you get in the story all three servants, and you get that each of the characters in the story is meant to represent the, the master is intended to represent God and the servants are intended to represent you and me. And each of the servants is given the same opportunity. Now, not the same resources, but the same opportunity. Two of them, two of them look and go, of course, count me in. And one says, that's the dumbest request. There's no way. It is absolutely unreasonable for you to ask that for me. And all God was simply asking was this. Will you take what I have given you and leverage it for the kingdom? Will you make sure that what I have placed in your hands somehow makes an eternal difference because you were trusted with it? And to say, do you get what this is? Do you get this moment? This is the opportunity to buy Microsoft cheap. And one says, this is, this, this is God being absolutely unreasonable in our lives. You know, you, you read the story and all of a sudden you go, dude, how do you miss them? How do you not understand what's, and you want to go to the one talent Christian and go, wake up, come, come on. This is not rocket science. This is easy. God gave it. He's trusting you with it to do something for the kingdom. You know what would happen if you sat down and had a conversation with the one talent Christian? You know he'd have a whole bunch of excuses. See, he'd, he'd say something like, he'd say, guys, have you been watching CNN? Have you seen the stock market recently? I mean, wow. This is... How in the world, in this economy, could God be asking me to leverage finances? For I'm the one talent guy. 
I'm the guy with the least amount of, you realize that if I start leveraging my one, I've got no fallback position. I mean, what do I do in a rainy day? What do I do when the bottom falls out? What, I'm the one talent guy. There's no way this makes sense. I mean, talk to the guys who all have more. I mean, if I had more, I would, because look, if I was the two-talent guy, you could leverage one talent for God, you could give one, and you'd still have one left over. Ask the two-talent guy. Ask the five-talent guy. If I had five, I, I could give God two talent. I'd still have three left over for me. I'm the one-talent guy. You get that those are real excuses. He's got visa cards to pay off just like everybody else. I've used a few of those excuses in my time. But here's what you and I need to get. There'll always be an excuse. See... There is never a moment in your life or my life when God comes and says, look, here's, here's what we need, to, and this is next, and this is what kingdom thinking looks like, that you and I won't have a bucket full of really, really good excuses why what God is asking is absolutely absurd. See, it's, it's the young lady who says, no, I, I, get, I get that he's not the right guy and I shouldn't be dating him, but no one else is asking It's the businessman who's practicing deception who says, look, look, I work in an industry where everybody lies, so my little white lie, that's nothing. You get, you get that every time God comes calling and every time God asks, there'll always be a bucket full of really, really good excuses as to why what he's asking isn't reasonable in the real world. So guess what he does? Back in verse 18. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. He does nothing. Now, God... I'm not saying that when the offering plate was passed by, he didn't drop a five in. I'm not saying that when it came to child sponsorship that he didn't sign up and sponsor a child for a couple of months. I'm just saying in the end, he basically did nothing. He, He looked at the moment and said, God, this is unreasonable. I'm the one talent guy. It's interesting because the other two have exactly the opposite response. The other two say, are you kidding? God is giving you and me the opportunity of a life. There is no way we pass this up. What do you think the chances are that the economy hadn't affected the five-talent Christian or the two-talent Christian? So, you know, just even think about it. Chances are, if you've got more resource, chances are you're that much more vested in the stock market. Chances are all your retirement is in mutual funds. Hey, anybody here want to guess what my retirement account looks like? 
Anybody want to know how upside down I am in my home right now? See, the truth is if you have more resource and the economy goes south, chances are you got hit worse. Isn't it interesting that the two-talent and the five-talent guy leverage everything they have? In other words, they're not going, hey, I need a rainy day fund. I'm going to give God part of it, and I'm going to keep, you know. No, these guys are saying, this opportunity is so amazing. I get a chance to buy Microsoft stock at the beginning. I'm going to leverage everything I can into the, that the smartest thing I can do is to find every bit of discretionary income, every bit of whatever I can reassign and get it into the kingdom. You get the two-talent guy? Has every right to say, I'm not the five-talent guy. I mean, let's just be honest. Two talents living in Chandler, Arizona? I mean, it takes two talents just to keep your head above water. And no, it's true. I'm probably doing a little bit better than some other, but I'm just telling you, making ends meet at the end of the month. Man, it, it's two talents to survive. Let the five-talent guy give something. You get that their response is exactly the opposite. They believe they're looking at the opportunity of a lifetime and they're not going to miss it. Why? What do they know? And I think the story reveals it. I think the story tells you what these two servants understood about the moment and why they wouldn't let it slip away. And the first thing is this. I think these two servants understood that what I do in the little things, when I don't have enough, when I wish that God had given me more, when I, when I wish it was just easy to give because I just had so much I didn't know what to do, in the moments when it just doesn't add up and I say I could use every penny I have to pay the bills that I have, what I do in that moment decides whether or not I'm ready to be trusted with more. Go with me back to the passage. Read, read this. Here it is. It's in verse 21. Here's what Jesus is trying to teach you and I in the moment about how critical it is that when you and I don't have enough, that you and I are faithful with what we have. Here it is. Verse 21. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Guys, this is, this is absolutely unintuitive. This goes so against us. Because I guarantee you, every one of us in this room has said this. Look, look, look. I can't afford to do anything for God right now. But if God were to bless me, if God were to give me more than I need, I would surely, out of that abundance, out of that left, I'd give God something. I just can't afford to do this now. And you get that Jesus is teaching just the opposite. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> if I gave you more, there is no chance you'd be faithful with that because you haven't been faithful with what I've already given. Here's what Jesus is saying. Look, if I, if I give you $10 and in the midst of me giving that to you, that the idea that you would give me one, if, if that freaks you out, 
if you come to that moment and go, God, you, are, you want a dollar for You are crazy, God. That's the, that's the dumbest thing I've ever... God, get a life. Then Jesus says, here's what I know. If I gave you a hundred, you would never give me ten. Because one freaked you out. And if I gave you a thousand, you would never be faithful with a hundred. Because one was more than your faith. And what Jesus is teaching in the moment is that what I do when God trusts me with not enough is what determines whether or not he can trust me with more. Years ago, I'm in youth ministry, and I've already been a youth pastor twice. I've already been paid full-time salary to be a youth pastor. I finished my college, my Bible college. And I couldn't find a job. I couldn't find a church that would hire me. And finally, things got tight, and I, I began mowing lawns. I, I had to find some way to put food on the table. I'm mowing lawns. The one offer, the one offer I get, a small church up in Scottsdale calls me up and says, hey, you used to come here, used to hang out, help out. Would you volunteer to help out in the junior high program for free? To which I simply answered, no. I, I'm looking for a real job in ministry. I mean, I've already paid the price. I mean, God should already be trusting me with more, and so I'm waiting until someone will pay me to do me. No. They called me back a couple weeks later, and they said, look, we, do, we just want you to, would you consider volunteering to do junior high? And when a real job comes, when someone's, then you can quit. And reluctantly, I said, Okay. So get the picture. Here I am all day long, 10, 12 hours a day, mowing lawns, going to church at night, volunteering, working with junior high kids. Anybody here want to guess how many conversations God and I had while I was mowing lawns? I mean, stop and think about it. There's a lot of time mowing lawns. And here's the comment. I'm going, God, look, this is, this is dumb. I've already been a two-talent pastor. I mean, I've already been paid to do this. I mean, I've, this is like a demotion. I mean, all of a sudden, I'm a one-talent pastor. I don't, God, I don't get it. What in the world am I doing mowing lawns? You get what God was doing, right? He was teaching a young man to be faithful with whatever it was that God had given him, no matter if it was too little, in his mind. It's interesting because about a year later, that church needed a youth pastor. And they called me up and they said, Lynn, you've been here and you've been faithful and you know us and you know our kids. Would you consider coming on full-time staff as our youth pastor? And here's the part that I think is even more incredible is that I look back now in my ministry and realize almost all the significant mentoring relationships that happened in my life came out of that church that I was only exposed to because I mowed lawns. That God leveraged the success in what God did there to catapult me forward in ministry. You ready? Because a young man was faithful with the one 
And what you and I do with what God has given, despite the fact that you and I would say it's not enough and God, you don't get it, and it determines whether or not God can place more in my hands. It's why those two servants said, look, 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 it's only two talents, it's only five, but you get that what we do with those two talents and what we do with those, that's the opportunity of a lifetime to prove to God he can trust you and me with more. There's a second principle, I think, that these guys caught in the moment, something they saw that the one-talent Christian completely missed, and that's simply this, that God was trusting them with what they were going to do next. That in this exchange, in this God giving them and saying, here I'm giving you this resource, go use it for the kingdom and do something, that there was an incredible level of trust conferred into their lives that they couldn't let God down with. Matter of fact, go back to the passage and go back to verse 19 and here's what it says. See if you can catch the heart of these servants. After a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five, and here's what he says. Catch this. Master, you entrusted me. You say, look, I get it. I get that when you handed off these five talents to me, that you were trusting me to do something for the kingdom with what you'd placed in my hands. Years ago, we're starting this church. We're starting Cornerstone. And part of what that meant was, is, I mean, there were no people. There was, no, there was nothing. And, and, and I had to go out and raise money like a missionary, which I just have to tell you was part, the part of church planting that I hated. It almost kept me from planting Cornerstone. I just said, look, God, I have no desire to go ask people for money because what you have to do is say, look, I don't have a church. Nobody attends the church that I don't have, <laughs> which means there's no offerings. So would you for three years support me like a missionary in hopes that maybe someday there'll be a church there? I mean, I just went, God, look, no, that's a bad conversation to have. I don't like, it's embarrassing. And it was interesting, I'd go out and I would sit down with people and, you, you, you know, let's just be honest, you'd get there ahead of time and you'd go, these people have got some money. You know, this one ought to be an easy sell. You could write, you know, you'd get done talking to them and all of a sudden they'd go, we are behind you, we'll support you, 10 bucks a month. It's interesting, our number one supporter, the person who gave more than anyone else, Orly England. Anyone hear the crazy part about it? Orly England didn't have it. She, she gave us $200 a month. And Orly England was a single mom who had raised seven kids after her husband took off. She, she to, to raise income, to have money, had opened up her house and she was doing like a nursing home in her house. Eight beds in a 1,500 square foot house. And if you think nursing, she's, she's, man, she's doing stuff. I mean, she's wiping things. 
emptying things, putting catheters. I mean, I'm, and just, just to tell you how, I mean, look, that, that just freaks me out. Can I just say that? I mean, I'm, I'm the guy who said to my wife, Lisa, look, if I get to that point, I mean, if I get where I need that type of care, just drive me out to the desert. You know, just say, Lynn, there's a little church on the other side of that mountain that needs a pastor. And if I'm so far gone that I start walking, let me go, drive away. Okay, I mean, just no bedpans. 200 bucks a month. See, you get the moment. Orally, England trusted me to take her money and do something for the kingdom. And, and look, 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 she had no idea that it was going to be this. There was 26 of us sitting around in a Bible study. She had no idea that we would have Sundays like last Sunday where hundreds of people would stand up and ask Jesus. She had no idea. She simply trusted me to take her resource and do something for the kingdom. You get that God is your orally England. That God has said to every one of us, here, go do something incredible with the resource. It's a sacred trust. It's what the two-talent servant and the five-talent servant understood when God gave. Which brings us to an interesting point. Because I guarantee you in this room there are some one-talent Christians. There are some people in the room who say, look, Lynn, you just, my resources, they're so strapped. I mean, you just, Lynn, you don't get it. And, and I've I got to tell you, I, I don't even know how to make the bills at the end of the month add up and make sense. And now you're asking there are some two-talent Christians in the room. And, and you'd say, look, Lynn, look, I'm, I, I get it. I mean, I'm, I'm doing better than some. And, and probably there, there are people who, I mean, but Lynn, I just got to tell you, it's not hard to spend two talents. I mean, it's just, it's not. And to live in this community, and I mean, there's not margin. And then there are some of us in this room that are five-talent Christians. And you'd say, you know, Lynn, you know, I don't like to say it out loud very much or to brag about it, but honestly, we're okay. We're, there's, there's something there. But truthfully, I, I just don't know how excited I am about taking some of my leftover and I'm not sure it makes sense. And here's the question that every one-talent, two-talent, five-talent Christian sitting in this room is going to have to answer. When God comes to you and me and says, leverage what I gave you for the kingdom, is he out of his mind? Is he being ridiculous? Or did he just give you and I the opportunity of a lifetime to buy Microsoft really, really cheap? We put together a little video just, just to remind our hearts about what happens when you and I leverage resource into the kingdom and what God does when you and I are obedient with that. So here's the video.
you get one chance. You live and then you die. So why not make the best of it? Invest in things that bring heavenly returns. And by the way, no one said it would be easy. It takes sacrifice. We're only given so many resources, so much time, and so much money. Invest in things that change lives. Life was good. Everyone thought I had it all together. But in my life, there was emptiness, lack of contentment, and worry. What was I missing? I never would have imagined the answers would be there. Three different familiar and yet unexpected people in my life pointed me to the exact same place. That can't be an accident. A coworker of my husband's, a client, even my daughter, all mentioned this place called Cornerstone. How can church be the answer? I always thought church was full of stressed out people that didn't really want to be there and where kids hated it. Where the whole Sunday morning experience is just terrible, right? My childhood was far from normal. Nine foster and group homes. My father did drugs and abused my mom. I saw my mother raped. I was abused physically and mentally. Male prostitution, anorexia, I was a cutter. I did whatever people wanted me to do in order to fit in. In 19, I tried to commit suicide. It wasn't a childhood anyone would wish for. After this suicide attempt, I went into recovery. It was there I met Sean. He was recovering too, but he introduced me to Christ. I prayed a prayer with him to accept Christ as my savior. It pretty much ended there. You see, I wasn't willing to give him everything. I didn't want him to abandon me and I surely didn't want to disappoint him. When I walked into Cornerstone, people were dressed casually and generally happy. There were bubbles swirling and children laughing, a coffee shop, couches, a community. You know, people just like me. I was still anxious. I had questions and I was grabbing at things. I mean, church is great for people that need that. But could God be exactly what I need? I didn't think so. That was until a tragedy in my life. It was through a Bible study, a woman's retreat, and some new friends that I found the answer. What I needed was God. After hearing about Cornerstone, I finally got the courage to attend. There, the people didn't judge me for my past. There, I finally got to deal with the shame. Because they accepted me, I now understood and believed that God loved and accepted me. They were Jesus in front of me. They were Jesus for me. I finally understood and gave in. I was learning to give God complete control. The story isn't over, not for a long shot, but I have learned what it means to live life, and I found the people I want to do life with. Lives aren't just being affected here, but all around the world. Orphans in Kenya are provided education and dormitories. Children, the elderly, and even lepers are loved on and cared for in India. And in Peru, the poor are being fed.
Access Church started eight months ago through Vision Arizona. We chose Peoria because it has a huge potential for growth and is the fourth largest city in the Phoenix metro area. This part of the valley was missing a church with a passion for people and committed to sharing the gospel. My name is Rance Myers and I'm the lead pastor at Access Church. How could we launch a church during one of the worst economic downturns of the past century? Because God is faithful and through the financial support and coaching from Vision Arizona and Cornerstone, passion became reality. I'm Lee Stevenson, lead pastor of Harvest Community Church. I wanted to start a church that would present an accurate view of God so when people saw God's love and goodness, they'd want to know Him. When you know God, it forces your life to change. We strategically chose East Mesa because there was a need for a vibrant, relevant church that connected with young families. Harvest Community is a community-oriented church. We simply asked the question, if we were gone tomorrow, would our community miss us? Now we're seeing people come to Christ almost every Sunday, 40 people in the past eight months. Kids and students are coming to Christ and impacting their parents. Couples are seeing a difference in their marriages. Here at Access, we love being part of the community. Food and toy drives, teacher appreciation, school improvement projects, backpacks for students, and movies in the local park. Honestly, there wouldn't be an Access Church without your faithful investments. In the past nine months, we've had 12 baptized, which are mostly adults, 15 new people coming to Christ, marriages have been mended, and addictions have been broken. When people are faithful to invest, it changes lives. And you need to know, for those of you who invested in Cornerstone this year, it's been life-changing. For those of you who didn't invest, know that if you choose to invest today, there'll be more stories like Terrence's, more church plants, more orphans fed. What are you waiting for? I invest in a church that seeks to impact human need. I am part of a church community that seeks to live everyday life with joy, authenticity, and wholeness. I invest in a church that seeks to care for God's message. I'm part of a church staff that seeks to be relevant and progressive. This is my heart, and Cornerstone is my home. Aren't those amazing stories of how we get to partner with God and what He's doing? In our city, across the valley, around the world. So great. And, you know, I could think